Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How do people deal with lifetime, a lifetime of PTSD from paranormal events? Why are some people uh, negative about their abduction experiences and some positive? What does artificial intelligence know about the paranormal? Ooh, those are good questions, Ben. Welcome to the 1021st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from the WOON AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. It's on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live and on YouTube. I'm Mark D'Antonio, guest co-hosting today via Skype, and Paul is with us too, coming in via Skype as well. Yeah, I'm around here somewhere. <laughs> Cleverly hidden, if you will, Father. <laughs> and I'm Ben Eno, and so today we bring you an open line show, which it feels like it's been been uh, a dog's age since we've done. Um, but we're going to be talking to you about and taking questions on all kinds of high strangeness. And if you have any questions for us, you can give us a call, 401-766-1240, or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And all these questions uh, that that we are going to be taking first, uh, we've received in advance. Uh, they were chosen from YouTube. So I guess we can just uh, hop right into it here. And we're going to take our first question Um from uh, Sam Rowe Botham, 8914, which if I remember correctly, I might be getting getting confused with a different YouTube user. I actually gave us their, their, their legitimate name, but for now we're sticking with the username. Uh, this is a question from two weeks ago um, from our October 22nd uh, live show from uh, the Western Connecticut UFO Conference. Uh, and uh, the question starts, Another great show, uh, and it's all intriguing and mysterious. <coughs> The assumption uh, being made is that these visitors are visiting us from deep space, which is not possible because space does not exist. Uh, last year, they gave the Nobel Prize for Physics to uh, three experimental, um, uh, I'm going to assume that's uh, physicists, who proved yeah. the uh, the universe is uh, not locally real. I suggest that these visitors are uh, living over the ice wall that rings the Earth, and if anyone wants to scoff again, listen to uh, Admiral Byrd, who uh, led two military expeditions across the wall and told us he uh, found uh, land as big as uh, the North American continent. Ah, oh, boy. Well, well Mark, uh, tell tell us your, your thoughts. <laughs> you think I have a few? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, first of all, uh, with all respect to this, the fellow leaving the question, um, you know, and, and kudos for leaving the question, by the way. That, that's actually um, very kind of you to do that, actually, and participate. Uh, I will say this. Um, first of all, space does exist. That, that assumption uh, on your part is incorrect. And we know that for a million different reasons that I, I won't even get into. Um, and obviously, he also thinks that the Earth is flat because he says the Earth is ringed by an ice wall, and that's typically in the flat Earth models. Um Completely uh, ignoring uh, all of the mountains of evidence uh, to the contrary. I mean, I can give you many examples of why the Earth isn't flat, and all you have to do is go outside at sunset. Okay, um, you see that purple uh, shadow which rises up on the horizon, on the opposite horizon where the sun's setting. That's the shadow of the spherical Earth being projected into your local sky. Um, as an example, there's. Way, way more than that, too. I mean, um, how come Orion is upside down in Australia, but in Northern Hemisphere, it's not? Uh, that wouldn't happen on a flat Earth. 
Um, why does the sun stay the same size when it's all the way far away just rising and then when it's overhead, why is it the exact same size? It should get bigger, right? Because it's much closer. So as it gets closer, it should get bigger. And it goes farther away, it should get smaller. Why does it stay the same size? I mean, I mean, it's, it's almost ludicrous to have to go through this uh, in this day and age. Uh, so I do, um, I won't say I scoff at the flat earth people. I just say I feel bad because I think science has failed them. Because uh, there are some things we do know, and there is science that we do know, and that's science we know well. It is interesting. I I, I don't I know next to nothing about the the flat Earth theory, only because it's um, I I, I feel like it's it's well it's stigmatized <laughs> first of all, Se- second of all it's like you know what what I do know of it it just sounds like a lot of stuff that was that was kind of borrowed from various mythologies and kind of appropriated. Um, in in sort of a, a pseudo scientific way, uh, like the the idea of like ice mountains bordering the world, I um I, I know that that's that's like almost a direct reference to like the Norse creation myth, where um uh like the giant Ismir, who's like the the father of like uh, uh Odin and Odin's two brothers, uh everybody forgets Odin has brothers. Um, and Odin, Odin then, you know, they then rise up against, you know, the giant Ismir and then they rip him apart and then use his bones and stuff to basically build the world. And his, uh, I think his rib cage or something is used to line the boundary of the world. And I, I, I think that there's this sense where a lot of modern thinking kind of misses the mark when it comes to mythology. A lot of it is like, it's taken very literally, very two dimensionally. Where it's like, okay, yeah, okay, well, these people are just stupid. You know, they, they thought that, you know, giants' bodies made mountains and blah, 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 blah. And it's, you know, they were just idiots. They were just finding fossils. And it's like, well, yes and no. They had this idea of, of symbology, essentially. The way that they viewed the world was very fluid. Not like, you know, okay, well, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's like, you know, I've, I've had, I brought up this point many times before. Um, the, Canadian philosopher um, Charles Taylor has this very, very succinct view of how we view <laughs> ourselves, and it's um, he basically distills it down to two sort of versions of the self. There's the pre-modern self, which is the porous self, sort of you know the border between yourself and the world around you is very fluid. There's a lot of give and take, and you're, you're sort of where where the boundary between yourself and the world is. Is you know you can't very easily define it, but then you have the buffered self, which is the modern view of the world, in which you know there's this wall between you and the world around you, where you can step back and analyze the world, and there's this buffer between you and the world around you, and this this idea that okay, well you know they were idiots and they just didn't know anything, and aliens came down and built everything. It's like oh that does a tremendous disservice because you know you have these like ancient wonders of the world that were built by you know. <laughs> How some people view them as almost like Neanderthals when we know they weren't. You know, it's like the Egyptians knew that the world was round. You know, they proved that like right off the bat. Aristotle was the one that was like, no, it's flat. And (laughs) everyone forgets that too. But Aristotle aside, right? Um, the, this idea that, you know, okay, well, they were dummies and they, they knew what was up because, you know, they just had this, this very literal view of the world. It wasn't literal, right? These boundaries were, sort of symbolic uh symbolic in a way that 
the symbol of the thing can also be the thing. But it, you know, the, you lived in a concentric circle, right? You know, you're in your little hut. You, everybody has their huts around you. You build a little wall, and then on the outside of the wall is danger. It's danger. The monstrous is out there. The 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 scary, you know, wolves are out there. You know, you have your mm-hmm. food sources and such, and all these things are beyond this wall. So yeah, you know, the, wall, the wall is the, the wall is the a perimeter to all that you know. Exactly. And uh, beyond that is the big mystery. Exactly, and and the danger, as you point out, right. And these these things are in, in which that we it's it's a story in which we participate, and that's what mythology is. And so by assuming that it's like, oh well, you know, they they knew what was up there was a literal wall. It's like, well, well, no. It's it's like you know, there's there's layers and layers of symbolism we just miss as being modern people because we're not in that society right you know example a you know everybody knows the story of of exodus at this point even if you're not you know a christian or judeo-christian or whatever you know moses goes to the red sea he parts the red sea and then he leaves and everyone's like okay cool well you know he just saved a bunch of people and it's like no there's there's a deeper meaning to it because the red sea is a mistranslation what it should say is the reed sea or the great green of the east as the egyptians called it which was essentially the Egyptian version of the river Styx. And this, it adds a different dimension to it. It's like, okay, so essentially what he's doing is he's defying, you know, Egyptian death and, and crossing the sea without having to actually cross it. And it adds this different dimension to the story. And there's a lot of context we just miss in this. And I believe like, yeah. you know, stuff like the flat earth, flat earth theory and all that is, is missing a lot of context. You know, you kind of just take take little bits and pieces of it, and then you say, "Ah, I don't really want the rest." And it's like, and it, and I don't really understand the point of it either, because what do you prove? You know, they're lying to us, and it's like, okay. So science so around the world and people around the world for centuries have been lying to us. See that it breaks down very quickly. You know, when Admiral Byrd said that there was a continent the size of North America, he was not incorrect. It is. Antarctica is massive. It's the biggest continent on the planet. So, yes, um, there is a continent the size of North America, but he didn't cross a wall to get to it. That's that's sort of the that's the the, the myth mixed into the fantasy and then the reality. Right. It uh, it, it's just um, it's to me, it's amazing that there are people still today that think that this is a possibility. And it shows that we've actually as science people and as educators and in most cases uh, have done a disservice and not because the individual educators aren't doing the right thing but they're being hampered by administrative reasons and whatever and they're not able to uh, teach what they should be teaching hmm. you know I had a map skills class when I was in sixth grade okay and um that went on for half the year, and I knew where every country was. I knew what the shape of the earth was. I knew how long it took to get to places. Okay, back then it was a little longer <laughs> than it is today. But still, you know, those skills, are those taught anymore in school? I don't think so. Uh, I I want to say, well, I mean, to be, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I don't remember, I don't recall ever having a geography course when I was in high school. Um it was a lot it was i mean in in social studies they they had you know there, there was a vague sort of 
going over it for a few weeks, but it's like I, I had the luxury of having my dad, who is essentially an encyclopedia, that, and also a library yeah, in the basement that most people just didn't have. So it was, yeah. you know, it was, it, yeah, that 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 was an advantage that I had that a lot of other people didn't. It, you know, it's why I, when I was like in, I think fourth grade or something, I placed in like the top ten percentile for vocabulary at like ten because it was, you know, I had my dad. You know, not everybody has that, and it's, you know, it's like, um, I always think it's kind of funny whenever you see those like goofy little viral videos, and they're like, okay, name a country in Africa, and you, you know, here's a map. You know, what's this? And nobody knows like the Congo or anything. And it's. <laughs> It's kind of depressing, but yeah, I can I can see how how perhaps a, a lack of education can lead to that. Huh. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, that's that, I suppose. Unless you have any more comments about that, Mark. No, that's fine. That, that was that's all I had to say about it because uh, you know spending too much time on it um, could give someone the false impression that we agree with it. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, any anything from you, Dad? Mm-hmm. Do you have any have any thoughts, insights, anything? Uh, no. You may proceed. Ah, wunderbar. Okie doke. Uh, do do And now we'll, we'll hop on to the next question, which is from the same commenter. It's a summary of, uh, our show with, uh, Michael, Michael Cameron on, uh, October 15th. Um, and he writes two questions, and we'll take one at a time. Um, how do you, or how do people, uh, deal with a lifetime of PTSD from paranormal events? And we'll, we'll start from there. Would you like to give it a shot, Mark, or shall I get the ball rolling? I, I thought maybe you had something to say about it, so I was staying quiet for a moment. Okay, yeah. Um, well, it, it, it's I'm not. First of all, I'm going to make a disclaimer. I am not a therapist. I do not practice EMDR therapy. I do not have a degree or a certification. Um, all I know is you know what I've read in books, and and sort of um, I, I suppose experienced myself in a way. Uh, you know, so, so take what I say with a grain of salt, um, because it, it is, I, I think first, first and foremost, um, if, if anybody has any, any sort of a traumatic event in their lives, I highly recommend, uh, going, going and, and seeking help if you have the ability to, I think that that's incredibly important, um, because mental health is very important and oftentimes downplayed, especially if you go through something that is, is, uh, in, something paranormal if you if you want to call it that you know there's all sorts of support groups out there um i'm i'm thinking like uh i want to say you know any any anything that's that's put on um i'm trying to remember the group that kathleen martin works with is it no, free? That's, that's no it's that's mufon the mutual ufo network she used to be uh in charge of the abduction uh, uh group there that's and, what it was uh there's other people as well now that have, have taken the lead uh with her under her tutelage, and um, it's actually a very good place to go. Um, and the reason I let you go first there, Ben, uh, was because you know I, I've had such an experience, so um, it was such a terrifying experience that I basically had to move out of the old house, mm. right? So I had to leave that environment entirely, um, and there was a thing that was shoved up my sinus. I'm a science guy. This stuff doesn't happen to me, right? So <laughs> what happens when it does? You know, where does science go in the face of the unexplained? You know, that's 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 a that's a lecture that I do. I mean, it, it, it's based on that kind of thing. So um, there are people that are dealing with events that they don't know how to deal with. I've seen it in the UFO world. Uh, people that see UFOs but are told they can't talk about them. 
uh, it destroys their lives. You know. Oh so. yeah. No, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. And I mean, we've we've seen it day in and day out with 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 colleagues and experiencers, etc. And it's and I, I think I'm I'm a big proponent in um, trying to trying to get help and, and deal deal with it in the best way you can and, and learn coping skills and process because it's important. Um, you know, trying to shove it way way deep down and and you know possibly develop unhealthy coping skills is is not the way to deal with it. It just makes things worse. Um, a very smart man once told me that um, stress is stress no matter how you cut it, and it's always going to come out. It doesn't. It'll come out in ways you don't expect, and it, it'll it'll happen. And it it can really it can really mess with you. So it's so it is it is really 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 tough to uh, to deal to deal with in that way. But there are there are mm-hmm. definitely lots and lots of programs out there, you know, to to be able to to express and be around people who have experienced it as well, and understanding. Is incredibly important. Someone who can understand where you're coming from, incredibly important. You know, especially nowadays when it's kind of becoming a little bit more socially. I don't want to say it's more socially acceptable, but it's it's not as taboo as it once was. You know, in in a sense, right? I mean, here we are in the Northeast. You know, everybody you know kind of keeps to themselves, and you know we don't talk about it. We talk about the Sox and the, and the Patriots, and that's it. And maybe the Bruins if they're in Game Seven, but other than that, you know, we don't we don't talk about it. And it's you're right. And and I I think you know if you're living out in California, different story, you know. And so it's so it's yeah. important to be able to to find a group that you can express these these things with. Let, let me well, let me ask having, you. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Okay, just briefly, uh, having experienced PTSD twice in my life, neither of which was paranormal in origin, I can say that you really do need some help. I was seven years old. My father practically died in front of me. There were no grief counselors in 1961. And later on was a military experience. And nobody gave me any help with that either. And it's kind of haunted me all my life. So do seek some help. My guess Grandma. is... Uh, yes, after you, Mark, and then we can hop into the next portion of the question. Oh, sure. Uh, the one thing I wanted to mention, too, uh, the, right on the heels of what you you and your dad basically just said, um, you talk about the Northeast being kind of closed up and not willing to open up and talk about things, and you're absolutely right. Um, we did a show, Ben Hansen, Melissa Tittle, and I, uh, we did a show for Discovery Plus called uh, Alien Invasion Hudson Valley. And we went around Hudson Valley, and we we're talking to people that have had experiences. And everybody's had experiences, but no one's talking about it. So we had a lot of people from the town gathered under one big gazebo. And this was on a November night. It was 20 degrees out, but we got an awful lot of people there. And they were standing under the gazebo, and we were asking them, how many of you saw things? And they're all looking around for the first person who's going to raise their hand. And then one guy, this guy named Asa, raises his hand to his credit. Okay, To this day, that guy was brave as heck. And he basically said, well, I saw this strange thing, and he describes his craft. Floodgates opened. All of a sudden, everybody else, I saw that too. You saw that too. I saw that too. Well, why weren't you saying anything? Because they're afraid of the stigma associated with being uh, uh, an experiencer or someone who's seen something odd. Uh, we know the airline pilots have suffered this as well. Not anymore. Airline pilots are now encouraged to report things that they don't understand 
as our Navy pilots, as our, our submarine force, and it goes on and on and on. In fact, there's training now in the military branches to deal with unknown aerial objects. So that's pretty cool. You know, so we're, we're, we're dragging, uh, everybody kicking and screaming into the open about their experiences. But it never used to be this way. I just really feel good that it has become something like this, where it's more open and, and something we can discuss. Mm. It, yeah, it's definitely definitely like a like a cultural shift in general for the, yeah. for, the for the better, I, I believe. And um, now we can hop into the next portion of the question, which <laughs> is um, why are some some people negative about their abduction experiences and some positive? Do you, have any, do you have any thoughts on that, Mark, or shall I get the ball rolling on that as well? Yeah, um, I can just quickly say, basically, well, guys, I can never quickly say anything, can I? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I can try to quickly say that um, it depends on the perception they have of somebody entering, say, their house at night, violating their personal space. <clears throat> For me, it was a violation of my personal space over three nights. And that was very, very uh, unnerving to know that I was so easily accessible behind all the locked doors and so forth. So, uh, however, I'm open to contact, you know, but I'm not open to being forced into it at, without my consent. Okay, so um, I can understand why people would react negatively to that, Um I've, I've often said, you know, if I could catch the thing that stuck that thing up my nose, I'll wring its neck. Okay. But in reality, would I really do that? No. I'd probably say, wow, you're a scientist. You're actually studying the life forms on this planet. You know, and I'd probably say I'm kind of honored that you, you, you thought I was worthy of that. And, and by the way, why? You know, because I'm nobody special, that kind of thing. So uh, there's a lot of reasons why people would react negatively. Um, and the positive ones are the ones where, uh, they may only remember the good parts because that's all that they were allowed to remember. Um, cause we've also noticed that in many cases, until people are regressively hypno, hyp- hypnotized, they can't remember details that were less, um, you know, fun and enjoyable. Uh, when they go under hypnosis, they dredge up these, moments of a sheer terror that they felt. I never forgot the sheer terror. So um, maybe that's why my experience was negative, right? If it's positive, maybe people were able to have that purged from their mind. Um, so that's uh, a possibility. We know that mind control and changing of memories is something that we can even do now to some extent. So I don't think that a uh, species that's a few thousand years ahead of us um, would have any trouble doing that? Mm, that is interesting because I I I was I was going to say something very similar, and and I I do I do agree. Perspective is incredibly important, right? You know how how one views the event is is paramount to understanding it because it's you mm. know I'm not going to go up to somebody and say you're you didn't experience that that's wrong and it's like no obviously something happened right you know we know we know that that's mm-hmm. that that that. Someone experienced something. It's very obvious that something was experienced, but I wasn't there. I wasn't the one that experienced yeah. it. And it's I've I've been saying this for a while now that the problem of of the paranormal ufology etc. is is the subject object problem, right? You know, there's an objective reality and there's a, sub, a subjective 
a subject experiencing it, and then there's this this third party on the outside informing the subject, which is prior experience. And so we're we're experiencing this reality, but it's you know it's like um you know one guy's looking at a, a six, another guy's looking at a nine, and they're pointing at it and, and saying the other person is wrong. You know we know that there's something there, but it's the understanding <laughs> of it that's the problem. And then there's more questions that can be brought up too. You know, are they different entities? You know, are they are they different species? You know, or do they have different goals? And that's when you kind of get lost in the weeds because it's impossible to know some things. You know, it, it, ideas or morals or objectives, especially if they're completely alien from us, right? I think H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft kind of hits it on the head. He's like, their uh, their objectives are unknowable because it's just they don't think like we do. Uh, that would be That's my right. my logic anyway. Uh, I, I think we can't assign our morality to them either. Uh, that's a big one. I mean, some people say, well, they're gentle, they're gentle and benevolent. Why do they have to be? They don't have to be gentle and benevolent. Did you look in nature? Is it gentle and benevolent the way hyenas kill baby uh, lions? Okay, uh, no, and not at all. So, but you know, oh well, that's just nature. Well, alien life is nature. We're just more civilized nature, mm. uh, and we kill each other. Okay, in a variety of horrific ways. So, I mean. What makes us think that aliens are going to be gentle and benevolent? I think that they have to get past a warring, you know, inter, inter, interspecies, interpersonal, a warring phase. Yes, they have to get past all that to go interstellar. But once they go interstellar, most likely they're going interstellar for a variety of reasons. And one of those reasons, I think, is to find other life like themselves. Why? Because every creature on our planet that's ever been developed on this planet, every single living thing, has imbued within it one particular characteristic that's common. And I'm not talking DNA. That's also in every creature. I'm talking about curiosity. Mm. Every creature has curiosity at some level. And so the more advanced you are, maybe the more curious you are. And uh, we're looking out. We're looking to try and find other life. Why? Who cares? Because we want to find another place that we can go. We want to find other places to live. We want to find other life like us. We want to make sure we're not alone. And so an advanced species might want to do the same because most likely they're based on carbon like we are mm. uh, in all likelihood. Now, it makes me a carbon bigot. I realize, okay, <laughs> slings and arrows, let them, ha- let them go. I agree. But um, it is the fourth most abundant element in the universe. Oxygen is the third most abundant. So carbon and oxygen are going to have an intricate role in life in the universe. Mm, interesting. And speaking of curiosity, we're going to go to our break. And if you're curious as to what's coming on after the show, you'll mm. find out in just a few seconds. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON AM and FM here in Winsocket's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back. We've unlocked the vaults, and we're replaying Casey Kasem's American Top 40, The 80s. This week is from November 14, 1981. That's when Billy Joel said goodbye to Hollywood. Barry Manilow sang the old songs. Olivia Newton-John wanted to get physical. And Foreigner was waiting for a girl like you. You'll hear those songs, all the top 40 hits, and the long-distance dedications from November 14, 1981, Right here on Casey Kasem's American Top 40, The 80s. You can depend on us for public service, Owen Radio. 
Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special guest co-host, Mark D'Antonio, the man, the myth, the legend. And we're taking listener questions and talking about all sorts of fascinating things. And now we're talking, we were talking about the, the ethics and morality of extraterrestrials. So if you're not riveted by that, I don't, I don't know what else we can do for you. Um, but I guess we can, we can hop into the next one. Uh, which I guess this kind of goes along the same lines. Um, this is a, a we're going to skip by a couple of the YouTube questions here. We're going to go to one from Facebook because I th- I think this is a is a perfect segue into what we're talking about, uh, which is um, from Claire and uh, the question asked is Do you believe that ETs have prevented nuclear uh, first strikes even recently? Uh, the fact that UFOs have been seen at uh, weapon storage areas and the weapons were found deactivated has to mean something. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I, I would I would say um, that there is some logic to that, but uh, I know Robert Hastings, the man who wrote UFOs and Nukes, basically that book, um, and Bob has a lot to say about this. I mean, he did a lot of research and shows that it seems that as we have gotten into our nuclear age, they have become, they being alien life, if, if, if it's here, right, as they say, uh, have become far more interested in our nuclear facilities. Now, why? Is it because they want to stop us from destroying ourselves? I actually don't think so. I think that's the comfort thats the comfort food that we'd like it to be. But I don't think that's it. I think that they kind of are completely divorced from that notion. Again, that's assign, assigning our morality to them. They don't want to see an innocent little species die. How do we know? You know, they may not care. Uh, for them... Uh, the way they treat people that they abduct, they don't say, here, come on aboard our spaceship. We're going to give you all kinds of memories to remember what we are and how nice we are. You know, that doesn't happen by and large. So usually it's surreptitious. They they figure out ways to tag us and ways to study us. Like we tag elk in the Yukon. We put big radio collars around their neck, right? Well, I think that Phil would notice a big collar around his neck when he comes back from being passed out on the front lawn. You know, and, and looks, huh, what's that? Huh, any pizza left? I mean, you know, we're going to notice. We're going to notice these, these things. So they, they do more surreptitious means and they, they, it looks like, it looks like they can wipe our memory. Um, just like anesthesia does. If you've ever had, uh, some anesthesia, general anesthesia, you forget, uh, the minutes before you, just before you go under. You can't remember those moments. You know, and that's because the anesthesia wipes your memory. It's a, it's a, not a designed art of artifact of general anesthesia. It just happens. Okay. Um, I struggled to remember some of the times I was on general anesthesia trying to remember what happened. I was told I was talking to the doctors. We had conversations and then I went under. I don't remember that, you know, but what I remembered under hypnosis, who knows? But the thing is, okay, an alien life form here would probably be divorced from trying to meddle in our affairs because that's not important to them. I think what's important is understanding us uh, because they found a carbon-based life form that's probably like themselves. We don't look very much alike. Uh, we might we might both walk on two legs because that is a naturally selected path on our planet that led to more intelligence than less intelligence. Uh, so. Uh, perhaps that is something that uh, is the only connection we have. I don't, I don't think they've stopped anything because I think they just observe, hmm. and they're immune to whatever we might do. Yeah, that, huh? I, 
What do you think of that? <laughs> now, well, now that now the gears are turning here, Mark. Um, I imagine. Well, I don't know. I I wonder if I, I always I always we always talk about the idea of you know technologically technologically advanced versus morally and spiritually advanced. But then you know if we're if we're dealing with something that's completely alien, you know, which in in this case we are. Um, then there would be no sort of reference point that we could use to understand other than our very limited experiences with it, right? And, yeah. I, every, you know what, a lot of people criticize me for saying right all the time, so I apologize for those who have criticized me in the past for that. It's a bad habit. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. There we, there we go. Now I'll find a different synonym for it. So the, so the idea, I guess, that, that would need to be explored is, you know, what, what limited interactions have we had that would give us the impression that, you know, these entities are benevolent? And, you know, I, I suppose seeing a craft that comes down around a nuclear site and then disables the nuke, you know, your your first thought would be, well, one, A, terror, like, oh my gosh, someone can actually do that. That's that's horrifying. Then the other thought, you know, if you're hippy-dippy and, you know, you're all anti, anti-nuclear weapon or whatever, which I, I'm all for, personally, um, would be, oh, cool, they're on our side. And then... Or if if, it, if you happen to be an enemy of the state and you see that happen, you say, "Cool, they're on our side." And and it's it's <laughs> seeing these these things happen. It it, it makes one wonder. You know, it, it's that that same subject object problem, right? We know something happened. There's an objective reality there that something happened. A craft was seen. Nuclear device was disabled. You know. We know we 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 know quote unquote no we have we we've heard these these anecdotes there's there's reports of it you know but what do we do with that data how do we interpret it and you know you can you kind of go one of you know a couple of ways with that one being the oh cool they're benevolent oh cool they're enemies of the state oh cool they're you know they're our allies you know the the enemy my enemy is my friend you know but there's there's a whole there's a whole gambit of of reasons why but they're human reasons. That's yeah, the, and you, you could also say, or uh, they disabled them not on purpose, but by the nature of the way they travel, uh, the the <clears throat> the radiation that their ships may give off may have disabled them automatically, um, mm-hmm. or they shut them down because the uh, the armed nature of the weaponry. Uh, kind of made them think that. Well, wait a minute. Something's going to happen here that may not be good. Let's just shut that down so we can do our study. You know, in other words, they might have done it entirely to benefit themselves, not us, not anyone. They may not even know what they're stepping into. Because mm. how would anyone know what the geopolitical landscape looks like just by visiting our planet? You know, we assign this. This, this sometimes we, not you, um, meaning uh, people generally assign this vast intelligence to alien life. You know, like they know everything. No, they don't. They're not what we would call a god. They are fallible beings that come from another location, very likely. And when they're here, they just, they're carrying out their mission. They're doing their thing. And if we get in the way, they shut us off or they turn off our weapons so they can continue their business, perhaps. You know, so uh, I don't think that it's a, it may be not a, not a conscious thing, but a, uh, on their part, uh, but an intentional thing, perhaps, if necessary, to finish their research. 
or do their research. Um, it could be a consequence of their propulsion or lack of. I mean, so there's a whole bunch of reasons why it could be just like you say. There's a, a plethora of reasons that uh, this could be happening. But to assign a human emotion to it, like, oh, they want to protect us, uh, that's that's really a too too early to tell thing. <laughs> mm, you said the operative word there, there, Mark. The uh, the secret word, if you will, which was God. You know, lowercase mm. G gods. I have this <laughs> this working theory um, that that I have no way to to prove, but it's a fun little 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 game theory that the 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 paranormal in general, anything supernatural, right? Or, or unknown science is is like the 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 mythology of the modern world, and it's this this sort of fun fringe thing that is is sort of like oh you know we're we're in a very we're we live we can live very boring lives you know, but we you know if you're if you're getting up every day you just go do your nine to five you come home you eat dinner you go to bed you do it all over again you know there's there's no there's no secret there's no fun sort of I, I, I don't want to say the word spiritual because it's not really the right word. There's no story to be a part of, right? So you have conspiracy theories and you have aliens and you have ghosts and you have all these things and it's like, wow, this adds so much meaning to my life. It adds some sort of depth and and it's and it's this this thing that that's like, okay, we, we know that there's something <clears throat> supernatural out there. There's something extra. There's something above us and perhaps it's aliens coming down and helping us or you know the ghost of my grandma coming to say hi and, and make me a, a cup of tea or something or whatever and it's this this thing that's that that is a part of of daily life that people talk about sometimes you know they'll be sitting around you know you're you're having a beer or you're at dinner with people and you you say that weird thing that happened to you and everybody gets really interested and you you get really into it and it's this sort of portion of the modern world where is that that little bit of sacredness that's still left but it's it's this like anomaly that you could probably explain with science maybe but there's still that little bit of mystery left in it and i think that this this idea right here is sort of like a, a hyperbole of it right that it's like okay well they're here to help us they're here to save us it's it's an it's a hyperbolic version of there's something a little bit beyond us every day in this very boring flat two-dimensional world that we that we built for ourselves and it's that that two-dimensional sort of hegelian nightmare that we live in where everything can be explained everything is there that that little bit of mystery is still there and we crave it we need it and rather than try to explain it with logic and reason, it's kind of just fun to think about, and then eventually you can get obsessed with it and it kind of, kind of take over your life. But, you know, it is what it is. It, it, it's, it's that portion of reality that's that extra bit, that little bit of spice. And so this idea of assigning morality to these things, it's nothing new, you know? <clears throat> it's it, This is something we've been doing for millennia, you know? There hasn't much, – much has not changed <clears throat> in the last, you know – few thousand years you know the only difference is the technology around us everything else it's you know it's you know, not too different human nature really hasn't changed that much and stanton friedman pointed that out in in one of his famous statements which was you know if an if an alien presence came down they'd see nothing but you know war you know tribes that their primary activity is just warring with each other now, I'm, I'm paraphrasing but you know that that's essentially what, what we, they would see you know not nothing's really changed we we're just changing the 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 terms around and so that's that's my little my little soapbox rant for the day that's, that's actually a, a prescient thing to say though that's, that's 
That's very true. So I, I agree with everything you said. And so, well, I like when people agree with me. It's not often, know, right? But <laughs> so I guess we can we can hop into um into into sort of a a slightly slightly different version of this question, and this is a. Uh, question from j teddy 11 from our uh, may 7th show with uh, dan harari um which is what happens after aliens arrive and he wrote a really mm. a really interesting little little book um he he called it his uh oh geez it was like his his wish list of of what would happen after aliens arrive and i i was hoping it would be something like roadside picnic but it was not um and so he so the the question is uh at the uh, 2325 mark in the recorded show, for those who want to go back and listen to it, um, the book sounds like it could have been uh, a really good Twilight Zone episode, uh, how solving all of man's problems turns out to be a very bad thing, and uh, doing that goes against the natural order, in, in, in all caps. Uh, something tells me this author does not see the world like that. Uh, when someone talks and believes in uh, the climate change narrative that humans and society actually did and are influencing the current surface temperature of the planet, shows their lack of wisdom and their predilection uh, to be uh, led astray. So I, I I think I see what the what the the the, the point is. Um, but I, I I do like I did a. I did ask this question of, of Dan then that it's like, okay, well, you know, why would the alien solve all of our problems? And is that actually a good thing? Sort of like a, a reverse deus ex, well, sort of like a deus ex machina, you know, but it's, but you know, I, that was, that was just my, my opinion, um, on, on the whole matter because I, I just don't think they're here to solve all of our problems. Uh, that's just, you know, that's just my, my whole, whole thing there. Um, I also think think it's interesting because he in in Dan's book he he talks he the basic story is this this um if if I if I if I butcher it dad just let me know because I'm I'm trying very hard to remember that essentially the the story is this this guy you know he's he's led a led a miserable life and uh, he's he's like about about to like you know commit suicide and these aliens save him and they're like all right you're gonna be our ambassador to Earth. So whatever you know, whatever you want, we'll do it. And so you know, he goes to the UN. The UN's like, okay, well, we want you to, you know, what do they want? And so he kind of explains the whole thing. And so they, he presents this wish list, the consequences of the wish list, and and it's it's interesting because it, it does put forth this idea that you know, sure they could they could solve all the problems, but will they? And if they do, you know, what would that even mean? Yeah, because then honestly, I think more problems would just pop up in their place. Because that's kind of what what's happening with us now. We're trying to like you know solve all these issues on our planet, and it just think, ends up making things worse <laughs> in most cases, or has unintended side effects. I agree with that. You know, I mean, if you think about it, right? I mean, if if someone came along and solved all our problems, um, then we would stop solving problems. Mm. We would stop trying to figure things out because hell, we'll do it. They'll do, they'll do it over there. I don't know. I don't, two and two? I used to know that. What is it? Torg. Yeah, from Beta Alpha 9. What, what is it? He says four. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's right. I mean, that's obviously an exaggeration, but you get the point. At some point, uh, we're going to stop innovating. We're going to stop trying. And as you stop, if you stop trying, you stagnate. And if you stagnate, you die. Well, there was a really interesting. Um, I, w- I was listening to this lecture a while ago that was the the decline of creativity, um, and one of the key components of creativity is boredom. Because if you're bored, 
you try to find things to do and you use your imagination and you try to like figure things out and try to, you know, come up with solutions for things. If you're constantly stimulated and, and entertained and there's constantly some something happening, there's no need for you to do anything. And you you, yeah. s- you stagnate and you do nothing. And so, That's you know, right. It's 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 the same it's the same deal and I remember listening to that and I was like oh geez I got to stop playing video games if that's the case <laughs> I was like I should I should get back to doing creative things again because it's you know it's it's there's a difference between you know disassociating for a little bit to kind of recharge and then going back to it and then just staying in that state very different very very different yeah. things it's like take- and I'm sorry there's a really good movie that everybody should see that points out this problem exactly. It's animated, and it's called Lolly. <laughs> Wally. That movie is fantastic because everybody on this ship is everything done for them. They don't even have to walk anymore. They ride in these little carts that move them around anywhere they want to go, and they look at the world through VR headsets. They don't even see the real world around them. And they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay, and Now there are these big giant blobs on chairs that are all mobilized for them. Everything's done for them. So, in other words, what good are they as a race of people, as a civilization, right? Mm. And then Lolly comes along and upsets the whole apple cart, right? So I think that's pretty cool. So that, that's a neat movie, um, and that's actually had a lot of prescient thoughts in it that uh, everybody should learn. Yeah, no, I, I I was thinking that too actually, and I and it is it is honestly a very poignant movie. I uh, that it was is. actually. That was one of my my first sound design projects was redoing all the sound design for it. That was a lot of really, yeah, yeah. That was oh, uh, cool, man. That was that was yeah. I was given like a twenty minute clip and I had to redo all the sound design for it. That was that was a lot of fun. I don't know how the guy <clears throat> got all the all the the stems and audio stuff, but he was like, yeah, go for it. And you just have to mix it, and it was it was kind of cool. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. not not what we're here for, but there's there's a really interesting um, sort of dialogue between. Um, uh, Plato and Socrates, I reference a lot because it's very important. Um, where you know Plato is going on to Socrates, he's like, "Wow, isn't it great that the Egyptian god Thoth gave them writing?" And Socrates goes, "That's not great. That's terrible. No one's going to remember anything. They'll write it all down. It'll disappear, and no one will remember anything." And I thought that was really interesting. And it and there was there's there was a uh, sort of idea that was that was posited by. Um, this this writer I really like named uh, Paul Kingsnorth, who talks a lot about um, his his whole thing is he was a former environmentalist from the 90s, and um, he he did this whole lecture on how the environmental move environmentalism movement changed a lot from the 90s to the early 2000s, where it became a lot less of we should pull back from you know creating waste to let's use money and technology and throw that at the problem to fix the environment because he was more of a naturalist and over time he he was like okay well you know we need to shift away from cities because it's not sustainable etc etc and his colleagues were like no let's just build solar farms and he's like you know we have this company lined up and blah 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 blah. he's like he was like it can't he's like it turned from you know wanting you know a holistic change to you know throwing money at problems you know, it doesn't actually fix anything. It's, it, you know, if you if you look at, he's like he's like it makes an impact, but he's like, but the difference is is very stark. You know, there's it's using the these these sort of human made elements to try and fix the things we broke, rather than <laughs> dealing with the actual problem. And I thought that was really interesting because it's that that same idea that the idea of using 
technology to augment oneself, right? Because essentially we're all already cyborgs anyway. You know, I have augmented vision with glasses. You know, I'm I'm using you know technology to speak to you people in a way. I'm you know, in a sense, we're all already cyborgs. You know, even if you know whether we like to admit it or not. But now you can feel cool about yourself because you're like, okay, I have augmented vision, and it's like, well, I have contacts. It's <laughs> or I've, <laughs> I have I have glasses, and it's like, yeah, I have enhanced vision. I can see things, and it's like, yeah, well, I mean, I'm blind as a bat without them. But oh, you know, and Google Google Glass, right? People wear glasses and they can see and and get information uh, directly from their glasses, like with the Google Glass. I mean, that's that's the beginning. Sooner or later, that's going to be an implant in your head, and you'll have everything you need right there, and you'll be able to download probably um, educational lessons that you can download and and put into your brain once we understand where it goes. So, have you ever read Ready Player One? <laughs> yeah, that's that's fantastic. It is. I do like it. The sequel is not that great, but the first one was really interesting. And um, I was listening to something about that, and it was it was uh, it was some like you know, podcast I listened to a while ago with this woman named uh, Dr. Paula Boddington. She's a uh, she she does like um, the ethics of artificial intelligence. It's very interesting yeah. stuff. Um, and the whole thing was brought up where there was a change in narrative around the same time as this you know idea of you know, environmentalism, etc where the idea went from the matrix versus ready player one the matrix in which you know you escape to reality you know and and destroy it and then ready player one positing the idea which if those of you who have never read it or seen the movie don't watch the movie the book's much better um where you know essentially they're in this dystopian future and uh they they all interact with each other via this like sort of uh i guess the best now there is literally a metaverse in which people can do this but it's like an augment it's like a virtual reality world in which you know people go to work they go to school they do all these things but their real lives you know they're living in like trailer parks and stuff and they're it's it's very depressing but the the end of the book essentially is okay well instead of escaping the matrix and turning everything off it's about who controls it and the and it's it's two very stark ideas in 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 how one deals with this this version of reality right you know Instead of, okay, well, let's just get rid of it and live real lives, a la The Matrix, you, it's, it depends on who's in charge of it, a la Ready Player One. And it's those, those two very stark realities that are presented, and you kind of have to pick the pill, right? You know, is it who controls it? You know, who's the most benevolent? Which, you know, anybody who's given a lot of power, that's very, <laughs> it's very hard to maintain one's ability to be humble versus getting rid of all of it. And I, I think that at the end of the day, um, that idea of, verse of you know who's in control of it versus getting rid of it altogether, it, this is I'm trying to loop this back into the UFO stuff because that's how that's how this all got got pushed on to me was this idea of everybody fixing everything, right? You know, if we could just fix everything, if the right person's in charge, and we you know if that person's really good, it's you know that's that's it. That's you know it, we don't need to change the system at all. We just need somebody to fix all of our problems. It's like mm, no, it's probably not the case. And it's the idea of who's in charge versus leaving the matrix. I agree with that. That's a really uh, good assessment, by the way. Oh, yeah. So I listen yeah. to a lot of lectures, Mark. <laughs> I love it. It's it, it is it is fascinating because it's, it's these very different ideas of technology. And I think as a species, we're still so naive and so young that 
I don't think technology is bad. It's very ambiguous, you know, just as humans are very Im- ambiguous. I like yeah. to think people are, are pretty much good, but, you know, they can surprise you every so often. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's it's ambiguous tools being given to ambiguous creatures. And <laughs> who's to say that extraterrestrials are not ambiguous? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and who's to say that if we uh, if we keep advancing as we have, I mean, we might get to the point where we reach this technological singularity, where uh, we reach the the pivotal and uh, the, the the peak of our potential development, and then the only way we can go further is to employ artificial intelligence, mm. and uh, then we become fully dependent on artificial intelligence for our continued survival. And that is truly a more scary part, right? Mm. I would agree. I think Google... Yeah. Better get to the announcement. Yeah, I know, before we launch into another another tangent, as much as I would love to. But we'll hop into the announcements here. So over the next few weeks, uh, my dad and I, well, hopefully, it's been pushed off to the beginning of the year now. uh, We'll be working with uh, Reverend Michael Carter of Ancient Aliens, on a uh, very special podcast with new information that he has uncovered on the Ancient Aliens theme. And this will be uh, a fully fully videoed and audioed and all that good stuff, and that will be posted on our YouTube channel uh, once we get more information on that, so stay tuned. Uh, the Greater New England UFO Conference uh, slash Bigfoot Conference is back, and this will be a one-day event on uh, November 19th at the Veterans Memorial Center in Lemonster, Massachusetts, and uh, you can look for more uh, on the New England UFO and Bigfoot Conference on Facebook for more information. Yeah, I didn't even know what was happening again. I'm so happy it's back. You know, And by the way, guys, you can visit our new website or our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find literally 1,200 hours plus of regular shows and special broadcasts, all since 2008 from places like CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and even here on WOON, AM, and FM. Also here, many of these broadcasts, on the major podcast platforms, which include iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Mark, where could people find out more about you? Little old me? Oh, well, they can find me at skytourlive.com, and that is our uh, remote observatory site. Uh, and, uh, you know, we will, uh, I'm also at fxmodels.com, but skytourlive.com is where we are. And, uh, feel free to join us, explore, ask me questions. Uh, I'm an astronomer. This is what we look like. Ta-da. So, uh, you know, enjoy. Very relaxed. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, what do we have next week, Ben? Well, uh, next week, that's November 19th. Jeez, we're speeding through November. Philip Mantle and Dr. Arena Scott uh, will join us with new evidence and new witnesses from the Pascagoula, Mississippi abduction case of 1973. Wow, that sounds cool. You know what? I do want to leave you guys with a thought today. And that is that um, today's paranormal could very likely become tomorrow's science. I'm Mark D'Antonio. You know, I use that quote, but I always credit you. Well, that, that's great. I mean, I, I've always felt it was true, Paul. Mm. Undiscovered yeah, I science. Too. That's what uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thank you for joining us on our cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on... Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
Redstone Valley's ON Radio.